Today, we are meeting on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present, emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. Hello, Pete and Georgia. Hello. Hello. What are we talking about today? The Grateful Dead, my friend. We're going to take it back to Jerry Garcia and the boys and the long, strange trip through the annals of musical history. That's it. I'm ready. There's plenty to talk about. Well, what do you got first? Well, I think that I'm going to throw it to Georgia. We got a very, very special. uh, You're not wrong, Pete. You're not wrong. We've got a special little treat. May not be so fun for you listening at home, but if you're here right now, you might just get to reap the rewards. We do have a full room of people here too. It's packed. Sorry, sorry if you can hear hear the the cheering in the background. It's it's quite loud, guys. Quiet down down. a bit. Calm down. We're trying to do a podcast here. (laughs) The bar staff just cheered weakly. (laughs) The room is empty. (laughs) There's actually a bad ratio of customers to staff at the moment. (laughs) Can't imagine. No. So uh, today we're actually going to be trying out a special little treat for those uh, deadheads who are tuning in. You may be familiar with the Ben and Jerry's flavor, Cherry Garcia. Named after the one and only Jerry Garcia. The first ever ice cream to be named after a musician, it says on Wikipedia. Or perhaps you're just a Ben & Jerry's fan at home, so uh, you might be familiar. We will be testing it. I might uh, throw it over to Asia first to give it a go. Um, okay. While I'm trying it... You got the same time. We only have two spoons. Can you tell us about how you got this? I will be... I'll have a little chat while you guys try it. We only have two spoons. Um, so evidently it's quite hard to find this specific flavour in Australia, it seems. I, yeah, you hear that? That's, That's ASMR. A good sign. That's a good sign. There's a whole cherry. God damn it. All right, all right. Uh, supposedly you can't find it in Australia, as Ben and Jerry's replied to my Instagram message, but I proved them wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I uh, Uber Eats this from Ben and Jerry's St. Kilda Scoop Shop. So for anyone wanting to try it, that's the plug. But it's also maybe the only place in all of Melbourne that has it because Georgia tried her luck at every other place and St. Kilda was the only one. Supposedly Grateful Dead fans live in St. Kilda maybe. Well, yeah, I was reading a thing about how the Grateful Dead are like so emblematic of like the boomer generation because all those guys got into tech and like Apple songs like really quickly and like they're all rich now. Like the dead like really led the charge on that. Rich hands. Yeah. They experimented with like technology that Asia I mean it was George is gonna talk about with their wall of sound technique. Tell us about what you're tasting there. That is Divine. Yeah, isn't it just? Just God divine. Damn. Like, it I knew it would be good, but I didn't know it would be like this. It blew me out of the park. I didn't know it's it could good. be like this. <laughs> Seriously, if you're a fan of Cherry, or if you're just a fan of Jerry Garcia, get your ass to Ben and Jerry's St. Kilda and go show them some love. It's a long way, to be honest, for us Northsiders. Well, there could be some Southsiders listening in, so we, we see you. And go try it. Good. Highly recommend. Very good. Well, that was our first uh, taste test on this podcast, which is pretty cool. Let's try and do that more often. Definitely. Can we hashtag ourselves as a food podcast now? Absolutely. Expand our network. This is your sign to come live. 
because you two could try no, some really tasty little music-related treats. <laughs> um, all right, what's next? All right, let's get to the facts then, I suppose. <laughs> let's yeah. get to the facts. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Brass tacks, my friend. All right, well, I'll start us off. So, uh, Grateful Dead, starting out in 1965. So, a long, long time ago, they actually started under the name The Warlocks. Uh, f- the founding members were Jerry Garcia, uh, not Cherry Garcia, just <laughs> Jerry, Bob Weir, Ron McKernan, is that Pigpen? Pigpen. Pigpen. My mum's maiden name's McKernan. I wonder if I'm related. Oh. Imagine. It's All right, we'll do some ancestry.com <laughs> at the end of the pod for your little uh, Whoa, activities cool. today. <laughs> um, Phil Lesh and Bill Kreutzmann. Um, but they were actually all in a jug band together originally. What's called that? Called Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions. A jug band. Yeah, tell us. You've never seen a jug band before? It's basically a jug. What, you blow you into it? Like, yeah. like a pan Like what flute. you do on like play school when you're a kid and you fill up all the water glasses. Yeah. And wow. It's a jug band. That's amazing. I don't know many of those personally. You should book some jug bands yeah, in here. Yeah, that would be... That's what this tavern needs. Pretty cool. <laughs> All right, shout out to the jug band listeners. Jug bands of <laughs> Melbourne, get in touch with Asia Taylor. <laughs> highly, also, highly recommend listening to Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions. I actually only just listened to them about 20 minutes ago and very good stuff. I've I should have a included rock. a song in here, so sorry about that, but uh, go do it in your own time. Those guys know their way around a jug. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> Um, funnily enough, though, the Warlocks at that time was also the same name of the band we know today as the Velvet Underground. Whoa, yeah. I thought that sounded kind of yeah. familiar. So they both had to change their names. Both quite psychedelic in, in nature. Oh, yes. That's nice, I think, that neither of them kept exactly. it. Exactly. They were like, we can't have this, we both change. I agree. And they both ended up being massive. They both got better names as well. They yeah, did. 100%. Right, definitely both upgrades. So Amazing. then how did they get the name Grateful Dead, you may ask? How did they get the name Grateful Dead? Well, Jerry Garcia, the man of the hour was actually uh, flicking through a folklore dictionary. As one does uh, yeah. on, a, on a, a lazy evening and in front of the fire. And found the wonderful name they have. <laughs> it actually, if you're wondering what it means, uh, the dictionary said something along the lines of, the soul of a dead person or his angel showing gratitude to someone who, as an act of charity, arranged their burial. Whoa. Which is quite beautiful. And a little bit dark. Dark, but magical dark. Cosmic. Very Grateful Dead. Magic. Yeah. Beautiful. So I thought that was quite nice, personally. That's that's so Jerry. Gentle Jerry. So Jerry. Jerry. Everyone says Jerry's like the sweetest guy, you know. He seems like a real, well, he seemed like a sweetheart. Is anyone alive? I think most of them. Um, Jerry died in 95. It was just Jerry that died. Oh. Uh, they still play under the Dead & Co. Or Dead & Co. Like, they've played under, like, various Dead-related names, but the Grateful Dead folded officially uh, with Garcia's death. Fair. Yeah. Mm. So, obviously, coming from that jug band, they came from a folk background. Um, I found that the Dead were heavily influenced by the rock and roll scene that was emerging in the 60s, which is how they got their sound 
The Beatles were why we turned from a jug band into a rock and roll band, they wow. said. Pretty cool. The, the Pretty Beatles, cool. The Beatles started life as a skiffle band. Did you know Ian that? did not know that. What the hell? There you go. Isn't that funny These how life works people got some weird out. hobbies, but it all ended up all right for everybody. Thank God rock and roll started. Otherwise, we'd be listening to jugs still. <laughs> hey, there's nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with that. With that. <laughs> Come on, man. But after seeing a few others in the folk scene add in some electronic elements to their music, like Bob Dylan, they were inspired to create a dirtier sound. Beautiful. Yeah. Which, you know, There's we love a dirty sound at Lily Tavern. <laughs> That's for damn sure. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. It's the specialty. I feel that part about Dylan, like the, the interweaving of folk and country and blues, the totally. idea of the old weird America. It's got a bit of everything. Bit of everything from the 60s. Bit of a hodgepodge. You know, everybody, there's a, there's going to be a Grateful Dead song for everyone out there. Absolutely. They've got a little bit of everything. Um, so then they released their first album in 67, which was their self-titled album, and it was recorded in only four days. Boom. Pretty wow. crazy. Pretty which tight turnaround back then. I thought, wow, that's amazing. That's really cool. But apparently they weren't happy with that. No. Uh, they felt it was a little bit rushed, Whoa. supposedly. So, um, yeah, the, uh, Phil Lesh in his autobiography said, to my ear, the only track that sounds at all like we did at the time is Viola Lee Blues, which is a great song. Um, but it was their first time recording anything. So, you know. It's one of those things, it's like when a band is somewhat new and they play a new song, it's kind of like formed in the recording studio and then they play it a few times and they're like, whoa, this could have been way better. And then they exactly. always hate the originals. Totally. Blah, blah. I feel like that might be a bit of a recurring theme with the Dead as well because the fans, like the Deadhead army, always seem to prefer the live shit. The Dead are oh, a totally yeah. different beast. They're live. a live band. I would imagine I, I'm way too young to have seen them. Well, even there, like you just said, they're, I, I'm pretty sure that they went down in history as like the most pirated live music ever because there was every single show ever was recorded by someone that put it up onto, well, eventually put it up onto the internet, but obviously they were sharing it and selling it to each other. And it the sounds like, scene. yeah, everyone wanted the live stuff, which there's not many other bands I can think of that that's the case. Like, yeah, they really started that whole thing, like, years before Napster, man. Yeah. yeah. You can listen to just about every Grateful Dead concert ever on the internet, on, like, Internet Archive. That's there is all one there. website where it has, I think, every single one ever. And the Weirdly. comment section on each is just, like, pages Wild. and pages of, like, deadheads, like, analysing every note. It's insane. The... And the weird reason I know about this, because I know nothing about the Grateful Dead, to be honest. Disclaimer, sorry, deadheads out there. Well, thank I'm God cancelled. you're here, Asia. Thank you? God I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you're about but to know so much more. I was leaving Peter Monty's, which is like an IGA for those oh, who don't know. And there was a man out the front, this a couple of years ago, selling The Big Issue. And we ended up chatting because he had these really funny headphones on. And I was like, what are you listening to? And he's like... Grateful Dead, and then he made me write down this website where every single supposedly <laughs> live show ever is recorded and uploaded to this website, which I've never got to. But I will one day what's for my retirement what's years. What's the website? Well, I'll put that on the website that we don't have. I'll That's put it on now. Instagram. <laughs> That's just for you to follow our Instagram. Yeah, uh, L Files Podcast. That's yep. it. At L Files Podcast. Okay, yep. 
I'd love to play for you Viola Lee Blues, but it does go for over 10 minutes, so I'm not going to play that it's one classic today. classic dead. We love it, but Who's got the a time? little long for today. Oh. So instead, we're going to play one of my favourites, Morning Dew, from their first album.
in the morning do today I'll walk you out in the morning through my honey So throughout my research of The Grateful Dead, let me just say, there's a lot about this band online. It's, it's a lot hefty. to sift through. Deadheads just go yada, 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 deadheads. I was saying to Pete earlier, I'm not, a, that. I'm not a big Wikipedia kind of gal, but my Lord, that Wikipedia is hefty and it's it just seems legit, you know? I, I mean, this is great, like, community you know i think that they i think that the deadheads really put in some time i hope so i've never heard anyone use the word wikipedia and legit in the same sentence so i really hope they have i'm telling you there were subheadings upon subheadings just i was in a tangled web but (laughs) throughout my research something that really jumped out at me was this amazing video of the Grateful Dead uh, in 1969 performing at Playboy After Dark um, with Hugh Hefner there in the in the video, uh, and it's quite a quite a fun little video because their friend at the time, just their friend also the largest supplier of LSD in the United States at the time, Bear, uh, actually dosed everyone at the party by putting LSD in the coffee pot. So, um, yeah, it's... I was thinking about this and, like, why is everybody at this Grateful Dead party at the Playboy Mansion all drinking coffee? I was thinking the same thing. I thought the same thing, but I don't know. I guess it was just classy, you know? Coke and coffee? But classy, man. I urge you to watch this video. It's We're talking beautiful Playboy models just dancing like nobody's watching. <laughs> so it's it's a great little video. We'll put that on the Instagram. That'll get some clicks. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> clickbait. It's very good. We got ice cream and Playboy. What, what more do people <laughs> want? <laughs> um, Bill Kreutzmann, the drummer, told Conan in 2015 that it was evident during their sound check because he noticed the crowd and crew start to loosen up a little bit. Um, but also apparently Bear was no stranger to this kind of act. Just lacing everyone's drinks. Oh, yeah. Bear did he some was, hard time, didn't he? He did. He uh, did get busted for selling LSD, so he did spend some time in prison, but then came back as their sound guy and... Uh, designed their iconic wall of sound. And if you haven't seen this wall of sound, it is something else. 
Macintosh amps, like oh, how many of them? 604 speakers. Like chicken wired together. It was loud enough that everyone within a quarter mile radius could hear it. It had four semi-trailers and 21 crew members were required to haul it and set it up. And like the dead are touring every, like every year. I think they've toured every year of their existence except one. Because they were burnt out from carrying all this shit exactly. around. And it was always breaking down. I'm pretty sure they even went through Europe with it and everything. And it would need to be set up and broken down every night yep. by Bear, who yep. was on acid. <laughs> Truly insane. We will post a video of this wall of sound because it is just madness. But also insanely cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I mean, what a, what a trip. What a long, strange trip, my friend. Oh, you took the words right out of my mouth, <laughs> Play trucking. Just kidding. <laughs> Not yet. Um, but another f- crazy thing that I found out, apparently Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir would only choose what song to begin with and what song to end with. Um, and they would just make it up as they no went along. No set list. Na- no set list. That would and make your average... And they had some long sets too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no wonder... They're like, what's next, boys? We've got 137 songs to choose from. Just getting lost in the music. Have you heard that album Dylan and the Dead, where they're like back up Bob Dylan and and they play all Dylan songs? No, but I think Tyler bought that vinyl when we were away. Look, it's not great. It's not a great Dylan album and it's not a great Dead album, but I just am imagining Bob being like, so, Jerry, what are we playing in that? Yeah. And Jerry being like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, we'll just start with, I don't know, like a Rolling Stone. And then, who knows? And Bob being like, oh, Very this guy's cool. crazy, man. It's, even if it's not good, it's just pretty iconic. It's so. a document of two yeah. great cultural forces. And I mean, cool that Tyler owns that. So, respect to you. Yeah, Tyler, Tyler's pretty cool. A <laughs> <laughs> couple of Tyler fans out there. Oh, Not what? Tyler herself. <laughs> <laughs> so the next song I'm going to play um, was actually originally written for the new writers of the Purple Sage, who you may be familiar with. Um, they were good friends with the dead, but also Jerry Garcia was a past member of the band. Um, and Jerry was living with them at the time... The song was pitched to them and then basically Jerry added in the bridge and decided that the song belonged to the dead instead and took it away. Haven't so, we all uh, had a housemate like that? Oh, <laughs> respect <laughs> you know I mean? though, you know. They put a great little <laughs> swing on it. So this song is Friend of the Devil from American Beauty. i 
get out and run, but I take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before daylight, just might get some sleep tonight. I ran down to the levee, but the devil caught me there. Took my $20 bill and it vanished in the air. Stop running, but take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before daylight, just might get some sleep tonight. Got two reasons why I cry away each lonely night. The first one's named Sweet Anne Marie, and she's my heart's delight. Second one is prison, baby. The sheriff's on my trail. And if he catches up with me, I'll spend my life in jail. Got a wife in Chino, baby, and one in Cherokee. First one says she got my child, but it don't look like me. Said I'll run, but I'll take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before daylight, just might get some sleep tonight. All right, we've got Reese here who's just tried some of our um, now melted uh, cherry Garcia. Tell Still us, good. Tell us what, you what do you think, think Reese? Well, no one told me. No one told me there was crunchy bits, so that kind of scared the shit out of me. But <laughs> what? Well, there was nice. no crunchy bits when I. I didn't expect <laughs> it. I thought there was Spooky. just like cherries and soft things. Got me. But yeah, really good. There you go. This uh, episode is proudly sponsored by Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> Uh, well, I, they will be sponsoring this whole podcast. No, they're going to be. Um, they're the next guests we're getting on this podcast. They'll be ben next and week. Jerry yeah. will be here. I read on like an unrelated note that one of them, Ben or Jerry, was like had a really weak sense of taste, but he didn't realize. So he just kept tasting the flavors that they would give him and being like, "This tastes like nothing. Bring me it back. Make it taste stronger and better." And then they kept, like, amping it up, and eventually we got the Ben and Jerry's that we know today. Whoa. Yeah. Someone had to do it. Respect. It Taste blind. full on, let's be honest. Hectic. Okay, yeah. let's get off that topic now. So <laughs> <laughs> when I told Asia we wanted to do an episode on the Grateful Dead and what track she might be interested in playing, she just said two words to me, or three words. She said three words to me, Shakedown Street. I don't if I did say that. You did. That, you said Shakedown Street, man. I think with it the, might be with two With the passion words. of a thousand it's two, sons. It's two words. Two words. 
Um, look, it's an example of a Grateful Dead song that has taken a, a life of its own, some would say. What does it mean to you? <laughs> right. What's your I connection know little, to this tune? I know little, to be honest. Like, my only connection to Grateful Dead is that man out the front of Peter Monty's. And also, my first year of uni, I had to pick out of a bucket a pin. And I didn't know what it was for at the time. And I picked out this pin and it was the Grateful Dead, like, skull head. Mm. Which I didn't know what that was. I thought, this is cool. Like, probably the most badass pin in here. And I learnt that it's this guy, this artist named Emek. E-M-E-K, who did nearly all of their artwork, posters, merch, all of it. And anyways, that's really all I know about Grateful Dead. So now I'm just, I've done some research about Shakedown Street. I'm not authorised to speak on this topic, by the way, but I'm going to do it. Um, you guys can probably tell me more about the song, to be honest, but it it was actually an album, wasn't it? Not a, just a song. Um, I All I really know about, this is kind of <laughs> middle era dead. And this was kind of it like did. them cutting it with like the disco scene, well, which yes. is all I really know about it. Yeah, I think they released it on their 10th album, which was only 13 years after they released their first album, which is like King Gizzard kind of vibes there. There's like an album a year. Actually, no, King Gizzard's like 45 albums, I think. But that's still pretty strong. Um, and they played – the first performance of the album was at Red Rocks, which I've only just really learnt about. I don't do – you? Georgia, you've been to America. You know about I Red have, Rocks? I don't know about Red Rocks. It's Red Rocks? like this crazy natural amphitheatre in this, like, canyon, and it looks mental. And supposedly it's, like, one of those iconic American places where, like, if you've played there, you've kind of – you've made it. Like, it's the place to be. Cool. Um, but, yeah, I saw someone I know there, and I was like, what is this? Anyway, so that's where they played it uh, live for the first time a couple of months after they released their album. Um, it's – it's all about the an area of town that was like being I don't know culturally you know a bit haggard and maybe a bit like Johnson Street outside Shakedown here. Street, man. Shakedown Street, and then the fans started calling the merch area, which was massive supposedly at all of the Grateful Dead shows. They started naming that region <laughs> Shakedown Street <laughs> because there was endless merch and not just legitimate merch, but you know, bootleg merch and whatever else. Anyways, Shakedown Street. Shall we have a listen? Yes, please. Good. Shake it down. <laughs>
Beautiful song. They really did a lot of different things there, didn't Very they? Very funky. Very funky. Um, so Brent Midland was their organ player. Organ, we call it that. Organ, synth. Synth guy. Looked like a fun guy. Uh, thanks, Max, just having margaritas delivered to the table here. Um, he died, unfortunately, in 1990 and... 
There was no paraphernalia, drug paraphernalia found at his death, but the autopsy revealed later that he died from lethal levels of morphine and cocaine in the blood, a mixture commonly known as speedball, which I know you guys all know about. Um, brutal, but also weird that no one, there was no paraphernalia found around him just in his blood. Maybe someone was there when it happened, they freaked out, ran away with it, not sure. But anyway, after a year of him being dead, <laughs> gratefully. Wow. <laughs> sorry. Is it too soon? Wow, dude. Um, look, it was like 30 years ago, it's fine. Plus, actually, 33 years ago. Um, Never forget. <laughs> So, a year after that happened, the Grateful Dead came back uh, to the summer stadium circuit and played Chicago Soldier Field for the first time with two keyboard players filling his spot. Obviously, they needed two people to replace him because he was amazing. Um, Bruce Hornsby and Vince Welnick's presence, musical... Look, anyway, long story short, supposedly this was the best live show with the most attendance, but it wasn't until after their original organ player died um, in the 90s and they had 60,000 people come out for it which is quite a lot of people Um, and anyway since that happened there's been this thing that Georgia just told me about where everyone comes out annually to watch a movie the meet up at the movies the meet up at the movies meet up at the movies and it's happening actually in a couple of weeks Next June week. 22nd and June 24th. Um, a few locations screening it in Melbourne, so definitely go and watch it. I think it's at Cinema Nova, uh, Pentridge, and the the Astor. So All the that's cool enough theaters. for you Northsiders and Southsiders to six, have options. Six camera angles filmed the show, so that's what the movie is, I guess. Anyway, sounds amazing. Let's Quite a production. check it out. <laughs> And that's all I've got on that. (laughs) Over to you, Pete. So we've covered early dead and middle dead. I'm going to talk a little bit about late dead. And late dead for me, and I think for a lot of people, starts with their 87 album In the Dark, um, which was a huge record for them. It was probably commercially their biggest album. And the single Touch of Grey was like the dead's entry into the MTV era. It was their first music video. It was their only top ten hit, coming in at number nine. And it went into high rotation on MTV and it made concert attendance absolutely explode. Like, no more theatre shows. Like, the dead were headlining arenas all of a sudden. Which was probably a positive move for the band's wallets, but all of the older deadheads were kind of shitty about it. And all the new fans, they'd call touchheads. You're just here for a touch of grey, man, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. Gatekeepers. No touch heads here. Yeah, the, those deadheads, man, they didn't, they didn't give those touch heads an easy time. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, the song showed the world that the dead was still a vital creative force. And the song deserves a success. It became a staple encore at dead concerts. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Here's Jerry and the boys with Touch of Grey. Clocks are running. 
there's a band loading onto the stage right now as we speak. So if you hear any fun noises, that's what's going on. <laughs> we'll, um, They're going to play a show yeah. for us live on Grateful the podcast. Grateful Dead cover so. band. <laughs> Just kidding. Liam Wright, way cooler. Hey, Liam. <laughs> so another song of that album, Black Muddy River, um, another Garcia Hunter pen tune, um, was like some of the other introspective ballads that Garcia favoured live towards the end of his life. It spoke to the long, hard road that had shaped him as an artist. His co-writer Robert Hunter said the song was about the perspective of age and the necessity of living in spite through a rough time and the ravage of anything else that's going to come at you. Oddly enough, when the Grateful Dead performed Black Muddy River at Soldier Field on July 9th, 1995, it would be the last song Garcia sang before the heart attack that led to his death exactly one month later. Whoa. Fortunately, <laughs> thanks to the obsessive bootlegging abilities of deadheads around the world, I was able to procure that exact version of the song. Oh, now, if right. you're listening to this episode online, after that I'm going to throw it straight into a conversation I had with a medical practitioner who asked only to be referred to as Dr. Pete, no relation, <laughs> who, ser <laughs> who served as the Grateful Dead's doctor from 93 to 95. Dr. Pete's a consummate professional with some stories to tell, so enjoy. If you're listening here, well, you're just going to have to listen to all of this crap again <laughs> to get to it. Um, but without further ado, um, Jerry's swan song, Black Muddy River. Oh, hey. 
When the strings of my heart start to sever And stones fall from my eyes instead of years Now, uh, for this um, for this interview or this conversation, yeah, um, can we just call me Doctor Pete? Doctor Pete, yeah, that's sh- that's that's great. That works for me. Okay, 
Yeah, we'll leave off the last name. I just uh, don't want a lot of notoriety. Absolutely um, not. Yeah, I yeah. totally understand. Yeah, okay, great. Um, uh, yeah, Dr. Pete will be good. Yeah, all right, Dr. Pete. So um, <clears throat> what were the circumstances that led to you working with the Grateful Dead in Atlanta? Well, um, we've got to go back a bit, about um, 30 years, okay? Uh, to when I was in Atlanta, I was, uh, let me give you some background. Sure. I was a emergency, emergency doctor in Atlanta at that time. Uh, this was about March um, 1993. Sure. And, and um, I was um, working in emergency rooms uh, in Atlanta, different ones. And I was at home, and I received a phone call uh, from a guy that uh, I knew. I grew up in Atlanta, and um, this guy's name was Rick Diamond. Wow. Rick and I were, yeah, uh, we were um, uh, sort of, we, we ran into each other as, you know, growing up in Atlanta. I knew he was a photographer. Uh, he knew I was an emergency doctor. And... Um, I just got a phone call from him out of the blue. I was at home. And it was uh, probably about 5 o'clock at night. And he says, hey, this is Rick Diamond. Um, Look, I've got a situation. I'm down at the Omni. The Omni. The Omni Coliseum. Yeah, that's where the dead always played in Atlanta, right? That's exactly right. Uh, So... I had seen Rick at different concerts that I had gone to around Atlanta, you know, taking pictures, but I never really knew what he did. I thought he was just a photographer. So as it turns out, he's backstage making this phone call down at the Omni, and he says, look, the Grateful Dead are in town. They're due to go on in two hours. And contractually, they have to have a doctor backstage at every show and a doctor showed up in a tie-dyed headband and a tie-dyed t-shirt and a stethoscope around his neck (laughs) and one of the band members who had was getting a sore throat the doctor told him to go take some vitamin c didn't need any antibiotics and don't worry about it and they the manager in the band said Get this clown out of here. Get us a real doctor. Yeah, this guy's a quack. Exactly. Okay. So Rick was calling me because he was backstage, overheard the conversation. Rick had said that he knew somebody that, or a doctor that might be willing to step in for the show and, you know, cover the requirement that they needed. And and she was on the phone. So, Rick was, as it turned out, was Alex Cooley's, uh, Alex Cooley Presents did all, he was a huge promoter in Atlanta and the United States. Sure. And he booked all the big bands, Grateful Dead, uh, Rolling Stones, uh, he got the Allman Brothers started, he got Leonard Skinner started, he got, you know, all these big bands started. So Far Rick out. did all these photographs for Alex Cooley presents 
and photographed all the big bands. That's what he was doing backstage all this time when I would run into him at concerts. Wow, cool. And um, I never knew that until that night. And he says, look, would you be willing to step in tonight and be the doctor by the dead? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, would I be willing? Are you kidding <laughs> yeah. me? Of course I'm be. Hell yeah. Yes, what time do I have to be there? So he says, well, can you get down here in an hour? Uh, and I said, okay, it's a long drive from where I live to downtown at the Omni. But, you know, I thought, okay, let me see. I've got to put on a, I've got to look the part. So I put on a sport coat in my jeans, put on a tie. Um, I had to look the part of a doctor. No tie-dye. I was in no tie-dye. I guarantee I was the only person at the concert in a sport coat. And I uh, showed up with showed up at the back door of the, the backstage door and um, they were waiting for me. They let me in and uh, I ended up, uh, uh, you know, being the doctor for the show. Wow. And yeah. And I ended up, um, uh, there was a little place that I would work, uh, that I would stay in the back where the, um, the promoters, uh, assistants and people associated with the venue would be and that's where I would sort of hang out uh, but um, I ended up um, doing it for the show so the show ended up uh, being completed uh, there at the end of the show uh, they said um, would you be willing to stand in as doctor for the rest of the tour Wow. And I said, sure, yeah, I'd be glad to. Fantastic. You know, what time do I have to be here? Um, and um, I ended up being the doctor for the rest of the tour. The whole tour? And for the whole tour. Wow. Yep. Every night I would come down and I would uh, knock on the backstage door. They'd let me in. And um, that was the job that I had. And I was, um, uh, they, I, I guess, well, I'm not really sure. Okay, let me let me go on. So anyway, so I I ended up being the doctor for the rest of the tour. And then I, went, I parted ways, and about two weeks later, I got a call from the promoter. Yeah. And the promoter uh, representative said that Grateful Dead's manager had uh, called them and wanted to know if I would be willing, since they came back to Atlanta every March for their tour at the same time, if I would be willing to be the doctor for them each year when they came back, because the band really liked me. Oh, that's so cool. And I, it was very cool. I'm a huge compliment. And uh, I took it as a huge compliment, and I said, absolutely. So every year I would get a phone call from Alex Cooley Presents, their representative, just to make sure that I knew when the concert was coming up. Uh, yeah, I knew when the concert was coming up. <laughs> you know, I just waited for the phone call, hoped that I was going to get the phone call, and I did. And I did it for, um, of course, I did that first tour in 1993, and then 94, and then the last one was in 1995, and that was March of 95 and that was uh, 
four months before Jerry Garcia died. Yeah, Jerry he wasn't died. long for this yeah. world at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, he died in uh, early August, '95. Yeah. So, um, of course, everything stopped at that point as far as me doing anything like that. But it was an amazing experience, and uh, uh, probably uh, I would say, I mean, I've done quite quite a few things uh, that are achievements in emergency medicine. But being their doctor, I would say definitely was one of the highlights, or is one of the highlights of my career, my medical career. Absolutely. Uh, being, asked, being asked to come back. And um, uh, yeah, I really, uh, I had really good feelings about that whole, whole experience. Absolutely. Um, how did your relationship with the band evolve over that first tour and then the subsequent years? Did you kind of get to know them a little bit or the crew? Well, the the first show that I went, that I was the doctor where I stood in, there was one of the members who was coming down with uh, a sore throat. And um, I got him... Um, I I went ahead and you know examined and did what I was supposed to do because I all I did was stay in the background and okay? I didn't socialize with any of the band members. They didn't socialize with anybody else. Okay? Sure. I was there to do a job, and when he had to be looked at, um, I went ahead and um, uh, got him on antibiotics straight away. Told him that look, you got you got two or three more shows to do. Don't, we don't wait until tomorrow to start your antibiotics. We get you on them tonight, and uh, we'll start you with a you know a double dose of this antibiotic. It's safe. Do this with this antibiotic, so it'll get into your system. And I think that that may have set the tone for them feeling like, okay, this guy understands that uh, you know this is important. Okay, that we're able to function and perform. And, you know, he's concerned that we need to get, I need to get better uh, to complete my, my, um, my performance. Totally. And, yeah. And, um, you know, we got him on antibiotics and, and it, it really got him much better when I saw him the next time. Uh, he was already feeling better. But I think that that, um, that experience may have had something to do with him feeling like, Okay, this guy understands what this is all about. This whole thing—he's not—he's not mesmerized. He's not—you uh, know—he—he's he, down to earth. He uh, treats us like a normal person, yeah. and um, you know he—he uh, he is tuned into what we're doing here, and that's what we need. And if anything really bad happens backstage, as far as even a cardiac arrest, this guy can handle it. And um, I. They were, I think they all knew that, and the manager knew that, and the promoter knew that, and they, um, I think that sort of set the tone for why I, why I got uh, asked to do it here, because, uh, well, I've always, I've often thought, you know, why did they, why did they ask me back, and I think that that may have had something to do with it, so um, I was there to do a job. And uh, I was very professional, but um, uh, I was um, 
what they needed at the time, and I enjoyed the hell out of it, and it was a great experience. Absolutely. Um, on that first tour, um, how else did like being on the road with the Grateful Dead influence your approach to medicine and caring for patients? I mean, it seems like you've got a pretty good mind for putting yourself in their shoes, you know? Well, I do. So I was, um, it, it really, it really reassured me actually that there, there was, there must be something about the way that I relate to people or the way I practice medicine that I'm doing right. And um, I took that with me all the way through my um, my learning and getting better and continuing to see patients. This patient care was always what I loved. And I um, I said, well, if I can if I can get approval from that scenario, from that situation, from from those people, those patients, then uh, there must be something that I'm doing that I need to keep on doing the same way. And uh, it was effortless, and I just did it. And, you know, it was, um, that's what it did for me. I mean, it helped me, I think, in its own way, make me a better doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Um Jerry Garcia's health was kind of deteriorating around that time, from around 92, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, as that was happening, did you notice a, an effect on the atmosphere backstage on, on the band? No. No? Nothing. Okay, no. Um, the band was, um, as far as I could tell, they were 100%. Uh, Jerry Garcia didn't really uh, socialize with... Um, anybody that I saw except the band and and anybody who was related to the the event okay uh, he was um, um, they were all very professional they were there to do their job and perform and um, he um, was I never had a conversation well uh, only when I had to take care of somebody did I ever have a conversation with them. And there was no socializing, um, but I can tell you he looked that he was um, ready to perform. He did not look sick. Um, he was not cheerful. He was quiet. He was uh, subdued. As far as when I saw him, he was into what he had to do. Yeah, I think that's just kind of how Jerry was. He's just a, a right. cool, yeah. laid-back kind of cat, you know? Yeah, and I, I think from what I've read that he wasn't, he didn't like doctors very much <laughs> um, yeah. from, uh, yeah, from, from what I can gather. And that was, um, <clears throat> that made being asked back even better uh, that they asked me back. Oh, that's, that's yeah. so cool. Um, what so did you? There were obviously deadheads crawling around everywhere. Um, mm, that's a pretty unique kind of fan culture. Do you have any interesting observations or insights about what what that was like? 
Well, just that um, <clears throat> that's the um, that's the environment that I grew up in, uh, actually, because I saw all of that unfold. Uh, I was part of it. Uh, as all of that was taking place, I was uh, starting getting in, getting accepted into medical school, and um, it was uh, it was part of my life. But uh, the deadhead culture and everything that you have seen, as far as the crowds that followed the Grateful Dead around, was all true. Uh, it was um, it was a culture of itself that uh, really had a life of itself and um, it was uh, it was just accepted and it was um, um, it was very entertaining and it was um, I would say um, all real I don't think it was exaggerated as far as uh, what happened at a Grateful Dead concert as far as people dancing in the aisles and and um, following them around and wearing Grateful Dead, you know, paraphernalia and and um, T-shirts and everything that you saw that made up a Grateful Dead concert. That was all real. Yeah, it's a rare kind of product of the myth around a band not being manufactured for PR because the, the Dead weren't too fond of press, really, but... Instead, you've got this amazing fan base that is just so into documenting everything. Like when you told me Atlanta, like 93, 94, 95, I went on to the internet and there's boot, multiple bootlegs of all of those shows. There's like ticket uh-huh. stubs, like backstage passes. There's like reviews of every song in every show. I think the first show in the 94... Omni Run was the last time they ever played Dark Star live. And, mm, you know, there's yep. so much you can um, pick up on through, you know, the, the fan culture. And it tells a much more, like, accurate picture of... It gives them, uh, like, a, a more accurate impression of, you know, who these guys were and, and their body of work, you know? Yeah. Um, Very true. So... As we were talking about before, the dead have a pretty kind of symbiotic relationship with the Omni. Um, mm. Did you get to watch the shows from the side of the stage? Um, did I get yeah. to watch the show? I ended up watching the crowd and the setup of the show. Um on the very first show, I caught a glimpse of all of that from just walking out and seeing what it looked like. But I carried a walkie-talkie. I was really there to be there at a moment's notice to be able to be a doctor for them. So I stayed backstage. Uh, I saw that is where I really needed to be. And uh, even though that was very entertaining to be able to see what was going on out there. That's not what I was there for. So I really didn't get involved in all of that very much. I stayed back where I was supposed to be. Well, it sounds like you're a consummate professional and that's probably why they liked you so much. Well, I'd like to think so. Um, Were there any kind of moments that stuck out to you 
as a as a fan that that you really got a kick out of backstage? Um. No, I think just the fact that I um, that I got to see the band, I got to um, be that uh, involved with the band as far as why I was there. And I think the thing that sticked out with me is actually seeing Jerry Garcia walk across backstage whatever he would walk across it was it was almost like he was he was wearing a black t-shirt uh, i remember that a dark t-shirt and he would always just sort of appear from somewhere and then walk silently across the stage going somewhere and then disappear and um he was almost like this ghost that was <laughs> wandering wow. across the stage you know intently wandering across the stage uh, and very involved in uh, what he was doing. Uh, but um, yeah, that memory really sticks in my mind as far as what an experience to be able to see this, to see him right in front of me, just being him. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, not a lot of people probably got to see that. He was a pretty private person. Yeah. And I never saw him talk to anybody. I'm sure he talked to the band. I'm sure he talked to who he needed to. But I never saw him stop and carry on a conversation with anybody. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I'm sure that he did. But, yeah. Yeah. Not what I saw. A mysterious man. Moving in mysterious ways. That's right. Well, that's probably a pretty good place to leave it, Dr. Pete. Thanks so much for talking to me. That's It's been an amazing conversation. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share with you. Well, thanks everyone for listening tonight. We're going to finish off there. Um, we're going to play you out with the song I teased you with before, Truckin' from American Beauty. Hell yeah, brother. Truckin', got my chips cashed in, keep truckin', like the doodah man, together, more or less in line, just keep truckin', on, on, on. Arrows of neon and flashing marquees out on Main Street, Chicago, New York, Detroit, and it's all on the same street. A typical city involved in a typical daydream. Hang it up and see what tomorrow brings. Dallas got a soft machine. Houston, too close to New Orleans. New York got the ways and means and just won't let you be. You meet on the streets, speak of true love. Most of the time, they're sitting and crying at home. One of these days, they know they gotta get going. Out 
check in like the Duda man once told me you got to pay your hand sometimes the cards ain't worth a dime if you don't pay them down Sometimes the light's all shining on me Down on Bourbon Street, sit up like the falling pin. Not down, it gets to where it thin. It just won't let you be. You're sick of hanging around, and you like to travel. Get tired of traveling, you want to settle down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 